Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. Three. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 4, Nasty Habits. The original air date of this episode was October 20th, 2013. The writers were David H. Goodman and Robert Hall. The director was David Boyd. Boyd found success as a director for television and has directed episodes of well-known TV shows like Friday Night Lights, The Walking Dead, Men of a Certain Age, Sleepy Hollow, Queen of the South, Constantine, and Twelve Monkeys. This is his only episode directing Once Upon a Time, but he will go on to direct an episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. The title card is A Lost Boy Dancing Around a Fire. We begin in present-day Neverland. Felix is escorting Neil, a.k.a. Balefire, which he continues to say really fucking weirdly in this episode, <laughs> might I Balefire. Yeah, it wasn't exclusive to last episode. He <laughs> says his name five times within like the first 10 minutes, and it is that same weird drawl every time. And it's like, fix your life. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, Matt McConaughey. Yeah, it's like, but it's not even just, it's like someone doing a bad Matt McConaughey impression. Yeah, it's like Matt McConaughey slash... Owen Wilson. Owen, who's the blonde guy? Clive, o- Clive Wilson and Owen Wilson, right? Name me a part. He's the cowboy in um, Owen Wilson. You're thinking uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I was right. Owen Wilson. Clive yeah. Clive Owen is his brother. Dark no. hair. No. No. Luke Wilson is his brother. Luke, Luke Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> oh my god look at that my, in order Clive to Owen ma- is related to none of these people <laughs> okay so in <laughs> in He's order not to even from the same country oh god <laughs> you know to make way for the recognizing brendan yuri's voice this weekend and falling in love with that one phoenix song from um you can know no, you I can, can do, do it. it. Fallout Boy. Yay! <laughs> you see, in order for that, I had my brain had to squeeze out some other information. <laughs> anyway, he reminded me of Luca. Uh, like, God damn it! Yes, Owen Wilson. Luca. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Yes, I was going to say Luke Owens. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> That's like a completely different ball game. That one. <laughs> Luke Owens. <laughs> anyway, this is all staying in. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, please yeah. <laughs> continue, Lynn. Let me Sorry, just yeah. My no. We're talking about weird ass Felix and his bile fires. A bile, bile fire. Felix is escorting bale fire to Pan's compound. Felix tells him how he feels like it was only yesterday he welcomed Neil to Neverland the first time, but how he hoped he'd never see bale fire again. Neil tells Felix that Pan shouldn't have taken his son in the first place, and that he will get Henry back. Felix warns Neil that Pan is not to be trifled with, and that he should know, since Neil was once a lost boy. This boy's comebacks have all the merit of, I know you are, but what am I? Elisa, insert, I know you are, but what am I? Pee wee quote here. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? As Felix prattles on about the amount of time Pan has spent searching for the heart of the truest believer, and won't allow anyone to take Henry from him, Neil is able to untie the rope holding his hands together. In response to Neil's confidence regarding his ability to obtain Henry, Felix comments that Neil grew up stupid, but then Neil turns around and says, I know how to tie an overhand knot, and knocks Felix out with the rope wrapped around his fist. Neil leaves Felix unconscious on the ground as he runs off into the jungle saying, I'm not a boy anymore, and I sure as hell ain't lost. God damn! That Neil is so hot right now. And not afraid to punch an 11-year-old who is actually a grown-ass man. <laughs> Elisa, insert Chris Tucker shouting, You got knocked the fuck out from Friday. You got knocked the fuck out, man! Fuck yeah, Neil. And I do love that he, like, he did it the correct way, which is, like, wrapping the rope around his knuckles so he wouldn't get injured. Oh, such a pro. People <laughs> do rarely correctly punch in film. That's yeah. true. Uh, Neil punching Felix was very satisfying, though. Well, yeah, because who mm-hmm. doesn't want to hit Felix <laughs> in the face? Come on. Yeah, really. In the Enchanted Forest of the Past, a 14-year-old balefire is drawing at the kitchen table in his old house. 
Rumpelstiltskin walks in happily with a small dagger with a golden handle as a present for his son. Bay doesn't want it, though, since he knows it comes from a person Rumpel terrorized. Oh, I appreciate the continuity of casting with Dylan Schmid, but this boy is about three octaves lower than last season. Bless his heart. He's also like a foot taller. Don't mock that tall child. He's doing his best. Oh, he no, is I'm doing not his best. He's, He's great. Best. He's great. Yeah, no, I understand wanting to use him as, as long as they possibly could because that, that, that kid's great. Yeah. Rumpel asks Bay what he does want, and his son tells him he doesn't want to always stay in their hovel. Rumpel says he'll build a castle for his son so its shadow would blanket the countryside. Balefire doesn't want that. What he wants is just to be able to go outside and make friends, and he doesn't understand why Rumpel doesn't trust him to do so. Rumpelstiltskin insists that he does trust his son, but it's others that he can't trust since many of his enemies could hurt Bay. Balefire thinks Rumpel is actually afraid that if he leaves, Bay might never return. Rumpel denies this and says he doesn't know what he would do if he lost his son. Ruin everyone else's lives trying to get him back? Oh, no biggie. Basically. Yeah, no big deal, no big deal. In present-day Neverland, Mr. Gold is applying war paint made from the poisonous dream shade to his face on the top of his right eye and cheek. Yay for edgelord face painting. <laughs> what even? But, like, was it dream shade? Because he's... He's not immune. It was literally poisoning him last season. Don't accuse him of being smart. Like, sure, it's not an open wound, but if he sweats, it's gonna get in his eye. Also, pores are a thing, so I guess it's a done deal. Womp womp. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is Dream Shade. I mean, I guess maybe it has to go in the bloodstream in order to be activated. I don't know. I feel like that shit leaking in through your pores is gonna fucking do it. Mm. I don't know. I... (laughs) Two points above. Mm-hmm. No one accused him of being smart. He's like, I'm a doomed man anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Gotta look real edgy while I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Will I go down in a blaze of glory? <laughs> He's like, a pan can't take me out. I'll, I'll, even I'll if he take- tries, I'll be like, it's my fault. I'll take myself Joke's out. Joke's on you. I did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> he would. Pan's <laughs> just like, damn, bitch. Okay. <laughs> Belle appears, remarking that Mr. Gold always felt more comfortable behind a mask. He responds that she is the only one who was ever able to see beyond the mask of the monster. Belle asks why he puts it on again now, and he's like, do you like my edgy face paint, Belle? I'm really excited for the kiss reunion. Or the tribe. Hashtag the dream must stay alive. Oh, the tribe. Classic. It was a deep dive. Classic. deep dive. New Zealand television? Yeah. Yeah, New Zealand. Yeah. Yep. That Kiwi TV. Trust me, I will 100% do a side by side of like Mr. Gold versus like Zoot or Bray or uh, I get, remember the Lex. There we go. I know these are words coming out of your mouth, (laughs) but I would be fucked if I know what you are saying. (laughs) Oh, Lynn, it's a classic. Oh, Lynn. Three people watched it. And Shell and me were two of them. Yep. <laughs> and my friend Jennifer, who introduced me. So there you okay, go. Okay, so there's your three. Yep. <laughs> Lynn, I will send you the YouTube link because it's all on YouTube. Because half of the words you said were not even English. They were mostly phonetic sounds, I feel like. Those are character names. I bet they are. <laughs> so I obviously do not get that reference at Post, all. Post-apocalyptic, cool, fun times. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking he looked like a dad going to a Kiss concert. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm still cool. Right, Bobby? (laughs) Sure, Dad. (laughs) Can you drop me off five blocks away from the concert venue? No reason. Mr. Gold insists that he needs the monstrous side of himself to save Henry from Pan. Belle reminds Mr. Gold of the prophecy and about his undoing. Mr. Gold suggests she does not feel confident in his ability to stop Peter Pan and rescue Henry. Belle counters this, reminding him that a lifetime of craven self-interest has always been an unbreakable nasty habit for him. Which is the title of our episode, Take a Shot. (laughs) Mr. Gold comments that it doesn't matter anymore as he has nothing to live for, and then when he said his goodbye to Belle and Storybrooke, it was for good. The Vision Bell, a.k.a. the one who only exists in his head. (laughs) Important to remind our readers he's literally having this argument with himself. (laughs) 
The vision bell rebukes this, surmising that she believes he will return, but Mr. Gold declares that eventually even she would leave him when she sees the monster inside of him. Mr. Gold tells her that his son is dead and that the only way to redeem himself is to save Henry while sacrificing himself. But, like, real made-up, non-hallucination because you're crazy pants, Belle is actually waiting for you, so maybe don't be such a dick. Redemption by self-sacrifice is lazy writing. A good writer knows the character has to put in the work. Hence why Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender set a new standard as we, the audience, deserve that kind of development. This PSA is brought to you by the Campaign Against Lazy Writing. Although I really feel like the precedent for non-dumb redemption was sent by Vegeta, who just kind of went, I was a villain. Now I'm a dad in a Hawaiian shirt, I guess. I don't care. Man, life is fucking weird. Is that from <laughs> Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, <laughs> he was the first major villain. And then he just kind of went, I guess I hang out with you assholes now because I have a kid. Oh, nice. I wear stupid shirts. We go to barbecues on the weekend. I tried to kill you 10 times. I don't know. Who knows what anything is anymore? This is my life now. <laughs> was there anything getting from point A to point B? Or was it just like... Not really! <laughs> so he, he kind of just meets Bulma. He kind of just meets Bulma and she goes, I'm going to make that stupid man my guy. And he goes, oh, fuck, I guess she's gonna. And that's kind of <laughs> just what happens. <laughs> and then he just wears stupid pink shirts that say bad man on them. And everyone Aww. goes, sure you are. <laughs> sure you are. Sure you are, buddy. And he's like, I used to be a fucking prince. And they're like, we know, honey. <laughs> there you go. There's, that's Dragon Ball in a minute with Lynn. All right. It's beautiful. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the dark jungle, Emma, Mary Margaret, David, Hook, Regina, and Tinkerbell are planning their method of infiltrating Pan's compound. I love that Emma is seriously struggling to say Tinkerbell's name because she's like, this is weird. <laughs> I do like with all the fairy tale people she's met, this is where she's going to draw the line. She could handle Prince Charming and Jiminy Cricket and even goddamn Dr. Frankenstein, but truly Tinkerbell is the line in the sand. Mm, because the others have land without magic names, maybe, but Tink doesn't. I don't know. I think saying it out loud makes it more real for her while she could maintain an aloof veneer of denial with the others. I mean, she just rolled with Peter Pan and Captain Hook and they don't have counterparts. It's just Tinkerbell. She decides it's beyond the pale. Yeah, she doesn't know he's Killian yet. I don't think it's been said. Mm -mm. He's just been Hook. And Peter Pan's just Peter Pan. I thought she did struggle with Hook initially. I thought she kind of made like a couple of snide remarks. Oh, she definitely does. She definitely does. But she doesn't have this moment where she just sits there being like, Tinkerbell. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's just like, Emma, are you sick? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the most extreme reaction. Just like, can't say it. Tis also a silly name. I think it's cute. No, no, no. Silly, <laughs> silly in the way that, like, not silly as in stupid. I think it's, like, silly as in cute. Like, like, Tiddlywinks is a silly name. You know what I'm saying? But it's also a cute name. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's silly cute. I'm I'm the one small flower from Alice in Wonderland. I think I, she's, I, she's pretty. Quiet, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Emma is discussing the plan in detail by using an outline of Pan's camp in the dirt. Tink warns the others about the lost boys inside the compound, along with the sentries that have weapons dipped in dreamshade. This concerns David as he exchanges a look with Hook. Hook's eyes are screaming, tell your wife, mate. Well, he's just he's like, please. rapidly getting so over it. <laughs> David cuts the topic short and asks when the rescue plan will take place. Tink says she's ready to go as soon as they tell her the exit plan. They admit that they don't have one, which discourages the ex-fairy. In that moment, Tink realized with horror that she was dealing with a team of morons. (laughs) Tink thinks their attempt to rescue Henry is futile if they don't have an escape route to take. She says that no one gets off Neverland unless they have Pan's permission, and to capitalize on her point of Pan's ruthlessness, she shows the group a watch that she got off of Tamara's body. She claims that she took half the night cleaning the blood off of it, and that there wasn't enough left of Greg Mandel's body to find anything useful on it. Regina's evil smirk is priceless. I know, she's so happy Greg is dead. It's, it's kind of hilarious, honestly. Like, I shouldn't find it hilarious, but I do. Regina is so gay for murder. She's so gay for murder. <laughs> she is the gayest for murder. Her sexuality is murder. 
Tink refuses to help by risking her own life if there's no way of escaping the island. So she leaves for her treehouse. David starts to go after Tink to bring her back, but Emma stops him. Says that she has learned you never break in somewhere unless you know the way out. Regina mockingly asks her if she learned that for Bale Bonds person school. Emma says that Neil taught her. You know, from the thief school of hard knocks. Which brought you such great lessons as, you know, you kind of lean against the door and you kick it like <laughs> you're bored. Or... <laughs> the most hilarious moment of Once Upon a Time is. Oh, uh, hell no. I taught her that. <laughs> just, I, I don't think That's I've laughed so harder Once Upon a Time than I had in that whole scene. <laughs> the lead up with Emma in the door and then Neil just being like, what? <laughs> I don't think so. That's so good. David asks Hook how he got off the island, and the captain claims he used a form of magic to open a portal that he got during a deal with Pan, one that the latter is not ready to repeat. Hook reveals that the only man to ever get off the island without Pan's permission is Neil. To explain how it's done, Hook leads the others to Balefire's old home in the jungle. Meanwhile, as he stalks through the jungle, Mr. Gold runs across two sentries while entering Pan's perimeter, and both of them are knocked out with a sleeping spell. He picks up one of the boys' dream shade lace spears and prepares to lunge at the incoming person behind the trees, but stops himself when he realizes in shock that it's Neil. Neil is initially confused by the situation, but quickly figures out that his father is having an episode. Oh no, Papa is having a moment. At this point, when is he not, though? <laughs> Never. <laughs> it's kind of been one long moment. It's all a moment. Mr. Gold threateningly grasps the spear, claiming that Neil is just another vision, like Belle, before he lunges at his son. Kick him in the nads, Neil. <laughs> Do the king of the hill. <laughs> That's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> Neil quickly explains he was shot, but survived, begging, please, Papa. This snaps Mr. Gold out of his crazy as he realizes his son is really alive. Overcome with emotion, Mr. Gold drops his spear in lieu of just putting his hands all over Neil's face for way he too long. Palms his face. He just puts his, so like, much just slapping his, his hands all Rub, over this boy's rubbing his, face. Rubbing his grubbies all over his boy's face. Because it's, you know, it's grungy out here on this fucking island. And he's, he's like, you're not dirty enough. Like, please, please, stop, please. And Neil's just, his face is just like, oh yeah, this is, this is fantastic. I'm so happy this is happening. <laughs> In the enchanted forest of the past, Rumple enters the hovel with a golden crown as a present to Balefire, only to find him missing. I don't know why Rumpelstiltskin thought bringing Bay crown would fix everything, but it is very funny to me. Kids like shiny things, right? Right? I'm hip. I'm with it. Hello, fellow teens. <laughs> <laughs> Rumpel uses a tracking spell, which causes his son's trail to end in the town of Hamelin. And who, boy, if we thought the CG was bad last episode, it's somehow worse than this one. Yeah, everything in the village, both in this scene and the next one, is real rough. Oh yeah, not only was no one's feet touching the ground, they kind of swayed above it. Yeah. yeah, and like, did everything look a little slanty? Yeah, and like, pretty much like whenever, like, like there would be a scene where like Rumpelstiltskin would be like on the right hand side, and they would like pull the focus over to, I assume, the mayor, mm -hmm. and like it would kind of like weirdly readjust, and everyone would sort of wobble for a second. Yeah, it was like seasickening. Like it made me yeah. a little seasick. It was like yeah. watching people. It was like you were watching people standing on the deck of a boat. There's also when the boys are running in the village a little bit after this and the camera's like following them or oh, that like spatial orientation was like. My eyes burned watching this scene. Like <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. And like, it's not even just that it's bad. The CG looked really low res. So everything was mm -hmm. also really grainy. Yeah. Like I was like, what? Like Rumble's village in previous episodes was an outdoor real location. Why couldn't they have just, I don't know, changed up the dress set dressing a little bit and shot it there? <laughs> but instead, they were I just like, know. we got to use the background from a 90 CDI adventure game. I guess. Yeah. <sighs> he walks in on a meeting the sheriff is having with the town's citizens as they're discussing search parties. 
Rumpel accuses the people and the sheriff of abducting Bay and hiding him. The sheriff denies this and tells the Dark One that many of the town's children were lured from their homes the previous night by some unholy music from a pipe. Only the children could hear it. They tried telling their parents, but were just sent back to bed. Typical. And then the next morning, they were gone. Listen to your kids. No one saw the pipe player's face, just a hooded figure hidden by a pied cloak of multicolored patches. The figure then led the children into the forest. After hearing this, Rumple declares, Then whoever this Pied Piper is, he's about to play his last note. Calm down, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, sweetie. In present-day Neverland, Neil briefly tells Mr. Gold that he was back in the Enchanted Forest after he was shot by Tamara, and that the debt owed by Robin Hood has been paid. Even though it was previously discussed, it was, you know, Bell, but whatever. Neil wants to know where Emma is so he can help her save Henry. Mr. Gold says that he left her and the others on board the Jolly Roger. Mr. Gold claims the others don't have the stomach to do what needs to be done. From this, Neil assumes his father killed the two boys on the ground. But Mr. Gold reassures his son that they are just sleeping. Mr. Gold thinks Neil doesn't have the stomach for killing either, but Neil claims he will do what it takes. There is no need to kill lost boys. Mr. Gold confirms to Neil that he will sacrifice his life for Henry since it's the only way, and Mr. Gold is willing to die to beat Pan. Collective eye roll. Neil tells his father that there is another way. Neil leads Mr. Gold to the shoreline and picks up a conch shell, most likely owned by a mermaid, and he tells his father how, with some shells, the ocean can hear you, instead of the other way around. As Mr. Gold asks why this is important, Neil blows into the conch loudly. From this, a giant squid is summoned and emerges from the bottomless depths of the ocean. Neil throws the spear at the creature and kills it. Rude. You best eat it and use every bit of that squid, Neil. Otherwise, it's a shameful waste. Well, it would take up too much of the episode if it showed the calamari dinner they sat down to. It's really unfortunate <laughs> what ends up on the cutting room floor. Mm. <laughs> This poor squidly guy, he just wanted to say hi. He was like, oh, you called me? And give them strangling hugs with his many arms. <laughs> He's an affectionate guy. He'll love you to death. <laughs> Neil explains that the ink inside the squid can immobilize the most magical of creatures, at least for a little while, even Pan. Mr. Gold remarks he has some experience with the substance when Cinderella used it on him. Neil asks if Mr. Gold can extract the ink from the squid's body, which Mr. Gold confirms he can. He asks his son how he's going to get close enough to use the ink on Pan. Neil says all he needs is one clean shot to get Henry back, which Mr. Gold promises to provide. Meanwhile, Hook, David, Regina, Emma, and Mary Margaret arrive at the cave that was Balefire's home during his time in Neverland. David and Hook open the cave's entrance together and quickly talk about the condition of David's poisoned wound. This scene is such a good, charming and Hook exchange. Most importantly, in the beginning, when Hook is like, you don't look so hot, mate. And Charming's like, I'm plenty hot. It's very good. Also, you tell him, Charming, because you're goddamn right you are. <laughs> Hook insists that David should tell his family about his condition. No kidding. But the latter refuses because there is no hope. Listen to Hook Charming. Tell your wife. I love this himbo, but this is goddamn frustrating. Yeah. Mm. Hook reassures him that there's always hope, but David will still not make it off the island alive. It's not a very <laughs> good pep talk. <laughs> David wants his infliction to remain just between Hook and himself because the only one the other should be focused on is saving Henry. After lighting the torch inside, the group views a variety of drawings on the walls. Some include two hands over a portal, the Darling family, and the P and S that represent port and starboard. They all start looking around for clues about Neil's departure from Neverland. In the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpel is patiently waiting on top of a house at night in the town of Hamelin. He soon hears a pipe playing in the distance. A few boys also hear the music as they sneak out of their homes to follow the tune. Rumpel angrily follows the children out of the town and finds several boys dancing, whipping, and laughing around a bonfire in the forest. This dancing, though, it's something. Getting real Lord of the Flies up in here. 
Who's got the conch shell? Neil. He used yeah, to yeah. get the squid. <laughs> All of the boys are wearing masks. Rumple calls for his son, unable to figure out which child is Bay, when he spies the mysterious Piper across the bonfire. Rumple teleports right in front of the strange figure, breaks the pipe in half, and demands to know where his son is. The Piper instead reveals himself from under his hood to be Peter Pan, telling Rumpelstiltskin, Been a long time, laddie. Glad you could make the show. Rumple and Pan are both surprised to see each other, mostly since Pan didn't expect to see Rumple grow up to become the Dark One. I love that Pan is like, good for you. <laughs> it's very good. Like He's nice. just like, ah, look at you. Look at you. All evil. Bless your heart. A shell-shocked Rumple wants to know what Pan is doing here, and the latter claims he was lonely in Neverland, and that the only children he meets are those that visit the island in their dreams, but they can't stay. Pan says he's come to the Enchanted Forest to bring boys to Neverland in a physical sense, including Bellfire. Rumple tells Pan that he won't succeed, and that a magic pipe will not influence Bellfire to go to Neverland. Pan explains that the only thing magical about the pipe is that only certain boys can hear it. Those who feel unloved and lost. That's why Rumpel can hear it. Pan says that beneath Rumpel's dark powers, he is nothing more than an unloved, lonely, lost boy. Saying this inspires Pan to name his new group of friends the Lost Boys. Rumpel insists that Bay won't become a lost boy. Pan says that he understands Rumple is upset and surmises that Rumple is not afraid of Bay being taken, but that Bay will leave him, just like Mila did, just like Rumple's father. Pan wants Rumple to ask Balefire if he wants to come to Neverland or stay with his father. If Bay says no to Pan's offer, the latter will leave and never come back. Rumple refuses to make any deals with him. Robbie Kay is just so good as Pan. Like, this, this kid kills it. A plus villain. He's so great. I love that little psychopath. He's carrying this whole episode on his deranged little shoulders. <laughs> yeah, one would not think that a 15-year-old could follow Barbara Hershey's Cora, and yet here we are. A shame it likely goes downhill from here, but I'm going to enjoy this wild psychopathic ride while it lasts. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's once upon a time. You know it will go downhill from here. Mm-hmm. I'm Samwise and I'm the host of the Being LGBTQ podcast. We are the podcast where all voices matter. Our mission, amplify LGBTQ voices from all different backgrounds. Being LGBTQ features in-depth interviews with music artists, activists, medical professionals, academics, actors, filmmakers, comedians, charitable organisations, politicians, authors, basically everyone. Had to take a bit of a deep breath there. So check us out at beinglgbtq.com or search Being LGBTQ wherever you get your podcasts from and don't forget to join us on social media we're at being lgbtq pod on twitter and on instagram and um i'll see you soon hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In Neverland, there is a party going on at Pan's compound celebrating Henry's arrival to the island and because the Lost Boys believe he is there to save magic itself from dying. The many boys are dancing and playing music. Everyone is jolly, but Henry, who is sitting alone on a rock away from the dancing. Henry's like, is this fun? Is this what you think is fun? I don't get it. You're just <laughs> clacking sticks together and going in circles repeatedly on end. Henry very much looks like whatever teacher pulls the short straw and has to supervise the middle school dance. (laughs) And it's just like standing against the wall being like, okay. (laughs) Pan notices Henry's distance and tries to play a song to get Henry on his feet with his enchanted pipe. But Henry hears nothing. 
Pan is surprised by this, but before he can elaborate the pipe's power to Henry, Felix walks into camp with an angry look on his face, which honestly doesn't look any different than how he always looks. Pan marches over to his second-in-command to get out of Henry's hearing range. Felix informs Pan that Neil escaped and that two sentries were found unconscious via a sleeping spell. Pan realizes that the Dark One and Balefire have joined forces and are coming for Henry. Felix suggests moving Henry to someplace safer, but Pan sees no reason to do so because we can't end the party when the real fun is about to begin. Meanwhile, in the cave, Emma looks in detail at the drawings on the wall and says that she has no idea that Neil enjoyed drawing. Hook comments that Bay got the talent from Mila. Emma discusses the time Hook spent with Neil while the two of them were in Neverland hundreds of years ago. Emma appears to be sad over the loss of Neil as she sees what his childhood was like in the cave. The group notices two halves of a coconut. One half is filled with holes and the other piece holds a candle in it. Fun fact, that coconut is real. It is not a prop. Well, it's a real coconut turned into a prop. But sweet domesticated Mary Margaret is like, Maybe it's a colander. And Regina's snarky logic completely bursts her bubble like, yes, I'm sure preteen Balefire was making lots of pasta. It's like, first of all, Regina, he was a full-blown teenager. So he was not a preteen. Secondly, you don't know his life. Maybe a pasta was all he knew how to make. I know that spaghetti was the first dish that I learned how to make on my own. Maybe he made seaweed pasta. You don't know him. God, Regina, you don't know. Maybe a lot of craft washes up on the shores of Neverland. What do you know about these things? Apparently, all you know how to make is lasagna. And she had to work really hard at that for like 28 years before she could make a good one. Good is debatable. The lunatic puts pepper flakes in it. But it was completely eaten at the potluck at Granny's. It was Leroy approved. He does hard labor all day. He would probably eat anything. But I do think red pepper flakes would be very good in lasagna. Red sauce plus red pepper flakes equals a yummy combo. No. Oh, no. Emma realizes that two halves. What are you snickering about, ma'am, while I'm trying to narrate? (laughs) It was my turn to go, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I did tell Elisa that you finally get one because she does it all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was was like, you always get to go, oh, no, it's Chell's turn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Emma realizes the two halves put together with the candle lit form a map of stars on the cave ceiling after the torch is snuffed out. Emma says the map leads home. For once the CGI didn't actually fail this scene. I thought the ceiling star map looked pretty lovely compared to the normal Once Upon a Time effects. Like, this was a breath of fresh air compared to the village square earlier. Like, it actually was like a little wow moment. Back at Pan's compound, the Lost Boys continue yipping, dancing, and hollering when suddenly all the boys, including Henry, fall unconscious. The only one left awake is Pan in the center of the camp. Pan playfully guesses who the guests are. As he guesses the Dark One, Mr. Gold appears in front of him. Pan lights a torch and encourages Balefire to come out. Neil reveals himself, wielding a crossbow. While Pan mocks Mr. Gold for abandoning Neil, Neil fires the arrow at Pan, but Pan easily catches the arrow by the shaft right before it hits him. Pan berates Neil for his forgetfulness for how powerful Pan is until he realizes the tip of the arrow wasn't dipped in squid ink, but the shaft was. Neil, you smart, sly cookie. So handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, Pan is immobilized by the ink while father and son grab Henry and prepare to leave. Before they dash off, Pan reveals the secret about the prophecy to Neil, accusing Rumpel of plotting to murder Henry. Later, Mr. Gold and Neil arrive at Mr. Gold's camp, and Neil lays Henry down to rest. Mr. Gold tells Neil that Henry will wake naturally from the sleeping spell in a few hours, and that trying to wake him would be dangerous. Neil begins interrogating his father about the prophecy Pan revealed and soon becomes outraged because of Mr. Gold dodging his questions and calls him Balefire instead of Neil. Mr. Gold finally confesses to Neil about the seer's prophecy and shamefully admits that he was going to kill this mysterious boy destined to be his undoing. Desperately, Mr. Gold promises this was only until he learned that the boy in question was his own grandson and he has no intention of harming Henry. Despite this, Neil is determined to keep Henry away from Rumpelstiltskin. Mr. Gold begs Neil to trust him, but Neil doesn't see how he can. I mean, if by the grace of comedic fate, 
Henry hadn't ended up being Gold's grandson, he would still be on the chopping block, and Rumple doesn't seem to get that this in and of itself is not okay. He's like, you know, I would have murdered a He's random like, I'm not, boy. I'm not gonna, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not going to murder my grandson. I mean, I'm not above child murder, but my <laughs> grandson is a step too far. It's just a step too far. Yeah, it's ugh. it's like, oh, okay, buddy. And Neil's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the John Mulaney quote with you have the moral backbone of a chocolate eclair. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the enchanted forest, in the forest outside of Hamelin, Rumpel can't figure out which masked boy is his own. Pan says the reason for this is because Bay's out in the world and having fun for once. Rumpel finally grabs Bay and takes his mask off. Rumpel tells Bay he's here to prove he cares about him and decides to teleport both Bay and himself back to their small house. As they vanish, Pan tells Rumpel, you're going to regret not taking my deal, Rumpel. In their hovel, Bay is furious at his father for taking him back home. Rumpel reassures his son that he's safe, but Bay doesn't believe he was ever in danger, claiming that the Piper was his friend. Rumpel debunks this, revealing the Piper is actually Peter Pan, and that when he was growing up, Rumpel and Pan were incredibly close but the Pan became immortal when he went to a place called Neverland and betrayed him. Bay wants to know what happened, but Rumpel vaguely deflects, adamant the Pan is more dark and repulsive than Bay should ever be exposed to. Bay calls Rumpel worse than Pan. Pan tries to reiterate that he didn't have a choice but to transport them both home. But Bay calls him out on his lie and reveals that Pan shared the details about the deal he offered his father. Balefire is saddened to think that Rumpel didn't trust him to come home with him, because he would have chosen his father if only he had asked. Brokenhearted, Bay leaves their home. In Neverland, Mr. Gold asks Neil what he needs to do to gain his son's trust, and he'll do it. Neil wants the Dark One dagger, but Mr. Gold says that he gave the dagger to his shadow to hide. Neil doesn't believe him, nor does he care if Mr. Gold is telling the truth, because the prophecy still stands. Neil muses that once his father returns to Storybrooke and reunites with Belle, he will come to realize the only thing standing between him and a happy ending is Henry. Mr. Gold insists that reuniting with Neil and rescuing Henry is his happy ending because it's his redemption. After Ugh. hearing... <laughs> okay, buddy. Yeah. I don't know. He makes me very tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After hearing this, Neil holds Mr. Gold's hand tight and tells him that when he was 14 and sleeping in a cave, he had dreams of his father coming to rescue him. But then he would wake up and remember how he was abandoned by his own father over the dagger. When Neil lets go of Mr. Gold's hand, the latter notices some squid ink on his right palm. Calling him Neil for the first time, he asks his son what he is doing. Neil tells him as he's leaving with Henry that he's going to find the others and leave Neverland and that they're safer without Mr. Gold. Like, Mr. Gold is that dog, the war flashback. <laughs> like, you know, the the dog with the war flashback gif? What? No. What? How do you not know this meme? I don't. <laughs> oh, what my is God. This? Okay, I'm sending it to you right now because, I mean, it's such a, I think I can even get it on Facebook. All right, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. Pause okay. for holding. Pause, pause for incoming meme. While we're waiting for this meme, I just want to say how much I love Neil just continuously like hoisting Henry up on his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. Like he weighs nothing. Like was this a fun episode for Jared Gilmore to film? He just had to be hefted around. Like he's everywhere. just like wee. <laughs> <laughs> just like every ten minutes, it's like all right, kid, up you go. Wee. Sack of potatoes. Oh, that's right. I'm playing dead. Shh. <laughs> Okay, of- well, this is the dog. This is the war flashback dog, but hang on. Okay, I have, oh, seen, this, I have-, I have seen this dog. It's but- the one that's being told to wait for cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's, here's, the, here's, here's the viral video that like, it went along with. I, I've only seen the GIF. I've not. Here's, here's where the GIF comes from. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> Poor dog. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing but I, it's just so cute oh my god <laughs> yeah so that's that's to me that's mr gold in this episode like he's just constantly like he wants to go over to that plate of cupcakes meaning neil and, <laughs> and but he just keeps having more flashbacks about what we don't know yet obviously but it's like like knowing what we know it's just like 
like his behavior to me makes sense, but it's it's fucking hilarious outside of context because you're just like, what is wrong with you, you fucking maniac? Like, <laughs> sir? <laughs> sir? In fact, without context, you're like, my God, like you abandoned your boy and like he had all this. I abandoned my boy. I abandoned my boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Griffin McRoy running through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and Neil's just like, like that's a sick burn when he was like, had dreams of his father coming to rescue him but then he would wake up and remember how he's abandoned and over a dagger and he's just like so i'm gonna fuck the right off you know so neil is also dealing like with these war flashbacks too like these these childhood ptsd and and such so it's just like i feel like neil is very determined to break that cycle with henry yeah he's like i'm not gonna be the shitty dad who just left right like some people and and the shitty part that like sucks about all of this, right, is that Neil doesn't even know like his own father's history or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't know. All he knows is like whatever Rumpel told him, which I don't think was a lot. It was just like, my mom left us for a pirate. And then that was it. And then yeah. she died, which ended up being a lie. It turns out mm, dad killed her. <laughs> yeah. So like he's processing a lot. And I don't know. I guess like as the daughter of someone who definitely went through some shit by the hand of her own mother, I understand, like I am the Neil in this situation, you know, and my mom is the Rumpelstiltskin. Like I see Rumpel and I see parts of my mom and her trauma and and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, like I understand when she's, when she's sometimes projecting onto me, I know it's just projecting like past insecurities based on past childhood trauma but like it's real hard to like to be the strong one to break that cycle and I just really applaud Neil for doing what he believes is in the best interest of of Henry in this moment you know well he's the best dad on this show we've already established that yeah he knew that kid for two minutes and already was dad of the year yeah (laughs) (laughs) already a better father than anyone else on the show yeah we return to the cave where Hook reveals to the others that he taught Bay how to navigate using the stars and the map from the coconut is the fruit of his labors. Literally, haha. <laughs> but sadly, the map is concealed in code. Put the lime in the coconut and shake it up. Sorry. Do you need a minute? No. <laughs> okay. You mentioned the word coconut too many times. I'm going to start getting that song stuck in my head. You just my scream coconut. Mm, coconut. But sadly, <laughs> the map is concealed in code. So the only person able to read it is Neil. This greatly upsets Emma, because the only person able to read it is dead. Emma rushes out of the cave with David and Mary Margaret right behind her. Emma reveals she's not sad, she's pissed, because even though Neil just died, she lost him years ago. For all those years since she went to prison, she thought that he didn't love her, only to find out that he did, and it was too late. And now Emma can't even tell Neil how mad it all makes her, or how terrified she was when she saw him in New York, because she knew that she had never stopped loving him. Emma goes back into the cave teary-eyed, while Mary Margaret is also distraught because she doesn't even know how to comfort her own daughter, and that is the first thing a mother learns. Man, Jennifer and Jennifer are both so good in this scene. They each deal like a one-two gut punch to my feelings in like 30 seconds. It's so good. Mary Margaret says that she and David can't blame Emma for how she feels. Because Mary Margaret wouldn't be able to move on if David died. <laughs> David tries to tell his wife to move on if he were to die. Because he's kind of being an idiot in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this scene's infuriating. Mary Margaret is not concerned and hugs David in the sweet false relief of his health and safety. And in fact tells him, that's very sweet, but nothing's going to happen to you. <laughs> As we all just sit here going, oh my god. <laughs> tell your wife, you tell dingus. You beautiful himbo, god damn it. Like, just just tell her. And what universe do you think her knowing is worse than the trauma of you just dropping dead out of nowhere? Your wife is smart. She's the smartest person here, probably. She like is no, she <laughs> is the smartest person here. Not probably. She is definitely <laughs> the smartest person here. Henry's not with the party anymore. So Mary Margaret <laughs> so. is the smartest person here. Like if anyone's going to figure something out, it's her. Just tell her. <sighs> Toxic masculinity ruins the party again. Soon, Neil finds the camp where the others were staying. 
Neil can tell the campfire is fresh, but before he can do anything else, Pan, Felix, and the other Lost Boys ambush Neil. Pan says Neil should have remembered what he taught him years ago. You never break in somewhere unless you know the way out. Felix picks up Henry and puts him over his shoulder, because everyone's just slinging Henry over their shoulder this episode. Neil tells Pan that he will get Henry back, whatever it takes. Pan tells him that that's not the problem. What Neil's problem is, is that there's no escaping Neverland. Neil claims he's done it before, but Pan reveals that he let him go. Henry begins to slowly wake up as Felix is taking him back to the compound. The other Lost Boys subdue Neil and begin to drag him away as he shouts to Henry that he's alive and promises to return for him. At his camp, the power of Squid Ink wears off Mr. Gold and he can move again. The vision of Belle returns to offer comfort and confidence in Mr. Gold's heroics. Mr. Gold seems upset because now that he knows that Neil's alive, the feeling of self-preservation has arrived. Belle insists that habits can be broken, but Rumble tells her to go away as he does not want to talk right now, even though she's only in his head. But that's fine. <laughs> He's exhausted. He's doing great. He's thriving. Flourishing, even. <laughs> At Pan's compound, the party continues as Henry wakes up, surprised he fell asleep in the first place. And poor Henry is just like, oh no, not this shit again. Do you morons ever stop dancing? <laughs> <laughs> it's another fucking drum circle. Great. Like, God Damn it, don't you guys need water or anything? I mean, we could throw knives at the ground again. (laughs) I guess at least they're not just, yeah, they're not just sadness trying to stab themselves anymore. So I guess it's an improvement. It seems kind of lateral to me, but I guess it's an improvement. Pan tells Henry that it was just a little catnap. Henry remembers his dad yelling for him, but he's confident it must have been a dream because he believes Neil is dead. Pan says he's sorry, and that it's normal to dream about things we lost and things we hope for, like Neil being alive and his mother coming to rescue him. But Pan reassures Henry that he will find new things to dream about that will come true, just like he did. Pan tells him again about how he's going to save magic, and the Lost Boys will be his new family. Pan plays another song on the pipe, and this time, Henry can hear it. Yo, play Mr. Brightside, you funky little psychopath. Dance does not match the tempo of the song at all, which I guess they're doing it to make it more off-putting. I guess it's on purpose, but still, it was not the song I was expecting to come out of that little pan flute. I really want it to be that stomp song that was featured in Tank Girl, you know, with Booga. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. Henry dances with the Lost Boys throughout the night as Pan and Felix are at the campfire, not dancing, as they look on most creepily. And uh, that's where the episode ends. (laughs) The drugs kicked in and Henry's gone in full-on feral mode. (laughs) I like this episode, even though my favorite boys, Rumpel and Neil, are having relapses with their childhood PTSD, and that's quite painful to watch. Rumpel's reaction is always babbly and being overreactionary when he feels cornered. He just needs better coping mechanisms. Back to Archie you go, Rumple. The Jennifers were absolutely amazing. Just another mother-daughter moment that just, ugh, very touching, very just, you know, hits you right in the feels. Meanwhile, Charming continues down the backslide into Curse David making decisions while Hook makes increasingly pain faces at him that I fucking love, like the... <laughs> so good Hook doesn't know how to handle for once not being the dumbest man in the room (laughs) Hook is is a treat this season like I've always loved Hook but like Hook in this season is just yeah he's chef's kiss chef's kiss all in all it's an excellent episode also there is a deleted scene I still need to send it to you too it's really not much of anything and I'm I'm okay with them like sometimes the deleted scenes I'm like what the fuck why didn't you leave that at like the jello scene remember the jello scene that was a good scene Mm -hmm. that was a good good scene but this scene I'm like uh, it was is superfluous the right word I think so yeah superfluous unnecessary yeah you know like gilding the lily sort of thing Mm -hmm. you know like so there was a scene preceding our first trip back to the enchanted forest elaborating on the origins of the knife that rumple gifted to bay 
it's Rumpelstiltskin is chasing a man throughout the forest and he corners him against the tree. Demanding that their deal be fulfilled and his debt be paid, Rumpel is furious until the man states that he simply needs more time, having had one too many drinks the night before and rendering un- him unable to meet Rumpel's deadline. Mind you, Rumpel gives people deadlines. It's not like he doesn't do this. Like the guy fully fucking admits like, oh, I drank too many. Like that is not Rumpelstiltskin's problem, dude. He is not being unreasonable here. But Rumpel reveals the man's name to be Mr. Van Winkle and before he punishes the man with a hundred years sleep. So, and then he snatches the dagger from Rip, Rip Van Winkle's belt. Also that that knife apparently was like, the handle was very heavy. And Dylan Schmidt, they said it took like an, a stupid amount of takes for him to like, you know, kind of like flick it off the table. You know how he does that? Like he kind of flings it. I don't want it, you know? Mm-hmm. He said that like, yeah, I kept, it, it just took so much because there were, he had to keep putting a lot more oomph into it because like it was a very heavy handle. It looked really solid. Yeah, the practice his Guillermo comes <laughs> Guillermo <over> no. <laughs> yeah, his Guillermo no routine. Overall, I like this episode. I feel like I had very little to say about it, but I, I really enjoyed watching it. I think it was filled with great performances all around by by the whole main cast. I'm glad we got so much Neil good to good to see him get a little bit more in this episode and peter pan was properly creepy he was great so for me it's it's four out of four neverland episodes that are winners in my opinion so far so let's see how long this winning streak continues i mean other than the continuing annoying narrative of charming refusing to tell his wife it was a pretty good episode (laughs) rumble stiltskin is all over the goddamn place but that is what it is i guess a hook and charming bonding partially over charming being a stubborn ox is kind of lovely, if not sort of a weird friendship. <laughs> it's really cute. It's cute. It's it's weird, but it's cute. And I genuinely thought the star map scene was well done. The CG continued to be bad, but I guess at least that's consistent. <laughs> yeah, like it's, you know, not a perfect episode, but it was was a good watch. Wasn't poorly written. It was enjoyable. It was yeah. good stuff. Okay, costumes? Costumes! There's not much to say. Peter Pan has a different look in this episode when he's the Pipe Piper. It's very patchworky. It has some really good, like, evil fae vibes. I thought it was well done. I love Peter Pan's Pipe Piper look. Like, I want a cloak like that for Ren Fair. I think they do really well just overall on Peter Pan's look, because I think those costumes are really well done. Yeah. Present day storyline, everyone is in the same costumes. They've been in the rest of the season since uh, yeah. they, they left for Neverland with no time to pack. But uh, Emma sure looks great with that sword strapped to her back. And Neil looks really good, all grungy and covered in weapons. That yes. He does. He looks great with the crossbow. Oh, man. Man looks yeah. good with the crossbow. Man looks good with a crossbow. All right. It's time to follow the Pipe Piper down the wobbly path that is Once Upon a Timeline. Yes, you you at least you tried on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, I did try. I did try. You did. You did try. <laughs> Thanks no, for recognizing you did, it. You didn't try. <laughs> so from the episodes we've seen so far, the ones with a flashback that most closely comes before this episode's flashbacks are those seen in season one, episode eight, Desperate Souls. As that is when we see Rumpelstiltskin kill the former Dark One to take his power in order to save Balefire from the Ogre War. And then the flashbacks that most closely follow those seen in this episode are the ones in Season 1, Episode 19, The Return, as we see a Balefire still isolated from the outside world in that episode. And of course we know that episode ends with Rumpelstiltskin letting Balefire fall alone into the portal that leads to the land without magic. So this kind of connects those two pieces. And that's it. That's what I have. Woo! (laughs) We did it. So it's time for our show and tell, rants and rays, whatever. It's our segment where we just share something that we're loving this week. All right. So so this week, the new season of Tiger and Bunny is out on Netflix. I mean, that will now have been like a month ago by the time you're listening to this episode. But still, the new season. We finally got season two after like 10 years. And I'm very excited because I... I love Tiger and Bunny. It's it's very cute and very fun. And it's a good anime if you like yeah, I was gonna superheroes. Say, yeah. I was going to say, like, I've, n- I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. But I was like, man, isn't that kind of old? So. Yeah, no, it's 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 about 10 years since the first season. 
I mean, we got a movie kind of in the middle there. Somewhere. We did get a movie in the middle okay. there. Yeah, we did get a movie. But it's it's a delight. It's honestly a delight. It's a fun watch. The characters are really lovable. Overall, it's a it's a nice little unique take on superheroes. It's a it's a fun it's a fun watch. But yeah, we just started watching season two. We've gotten like halfway through what they've released so far. And it's very good to see Barnaby and Kotetsu again. I love them. Also, we all went to the Ren Fair together this weekend, and it was very fun. Yeah, Ren Fair. That's my, that's definitely like my big yay. We had such a fun time, even though my feet are still aching. Oh, um, yeah, no, same. Yeah. Okay. Still tired. <laughs> yeah, still tired. Yeah. Still I had tired. A, I, had a, I had to take a little nappy nap today. So, I mean, I also had like a, a day yesterday, like a very full day yesterday as well. So it's not like I had Sunday to rest. No, I did not. I had to host a, actually I hosted my other, uh, my second queer folks social club event. I did board games and brews over at a local brewery and it's a good turnout, like eight, eight people. And yeah, we all had a really good time. I, I actually, it went way beyond time that I scheduled it for. And, um, I even had to leave. So and I was like, all right, guys, I, I got to go because I got to do like adult things. And like four of them, half of them stayed. I was like, all right, good job. So nice. yeah, cool. I look forward to hosting more events. It's just, you know, it's really good to be in queer, queer lady spaces more often. So, like all I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, be, because of the nonprofit that I've. Uh, just like, this, that is my house. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that is your house for sure. <laughs> That's all that live here. (laughs) (laughs) But my uh, my second family, most of them are not queer, which is the nonprofit I I volunteer with. But yes, Ren Fair, huzzah. It was very, it was very, very fun. I'm very proud of my my bedsheet wimple. (laughs) Good to be proud of your wimple. You should. You absolutely Mm -hmm. should. And it's going to be even prettier next time I get to wear it because I'm going to put a trim on it. So nice. Yeah. Grand Fair was my highlight too. We also went to Boysenberry Festival. At least I didn't talk about that. We went to Boysenberry Festival. Yeah. The food was good. Knott's Berry Farm continues to be weird. Yeah. Because it's Knott's Berry Farm. But the food was good. Also, Elisa bought us a candle that smells like fresh baked bread, and I am really digging it. Shout out to Cantrip Candles. Thank you. Is that the company? Is that the company that you guys recommended? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, cantrip candles. I've never so badly wanted to eat a candle in my life. Ooh, yum. It literally smells like fresh baked bread. Yeah, it makes me so hungry. It's so nice. I don't know how they did it. It smells like there's bread in the oven, and there is not. (laughs) Come shop in person. (gasps) It's in LA. Yeah, it's in LA. Yeah, it looks like their LA storefront is really cute. I just, I have a very hard time convincing myself to drive into Los Angeles. So we do the online store. Yeah, it looks really cute. I had I had put a call out to replace the uh, the candle company, which I unfortunately had already paid like you know a couple hundred dollars into before realizing that the owner is a libertarian anti vaxxer oh, yeah, crazy I'm, lunatic. So. I remember this conversation, and I did I did recommend Cantrip candles at that time. Ooh. Cantrip is real good though. Yeah, we I'm also at really stuff. like Magic Candle Company. <laughs> Magic Magic Candle Company's whole uh, claim to fame is that they make candles that smell like different shit from the Disney parks. Oh, nice. The their Dole Whip one is. I was just gonna say, Dole real Whip. good. It's real yeah, good. It's nice. Like you definitely like. It smells like your whole house is you're standing in front of Tropical Hideaway at Disneyland. You're just oh, like, man, oh man, that this would just is good. Make me so hungry. Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem I'm having with the bread candle, but it smells mm. phenomenal, so I want to mm. keep it going. <laughs> Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. With the deadly dream shade coursing through David's body, close to death, Hook takes him on one last journey to find a sextant that could help them decipher a map that would lead them off Neverland. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, Killian Jones, aka Hook, and his brother, Captain Liam, sail off under orders of the king to find a powerful indigenous plant on an uncharted land that could help heal any injury. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is just tell your wife, you dumb, handsome himbo. Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Tweet us at once upon rewatch 
Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at onceuponrewatch. Follow us at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. And so we we, we just ooh. I do. I hit my computer. <laughs> Don't do that.